Small businesses have the opportunity to learn from professionals and from each other. And bringing those perspectives together is an important part of Inside the Vault. Enterprise Bank's new podcast series. Welcome back to Inside the Vault. As most of you know, over the last few episodes, we focused specifically on some of uh, leadership's policies. But what we haven't really talked about until now as we somewhat come out of the pandemic with the rollout of vaccines, what's practically happening in the small business marketplace and community as a result of these leadership policies and decisions. With me today to talk about that are Chuck Lai, our president and CEO, who many of you have heard from in prior podcast episodes, along with Joe Callen, uh, who is the president and CEO of Busy Beaver Home Improvement Centers. Joe has a unique background in terms of being on the front lines in terms of what's happening in the construction and home improvement trade right now, along with having the challenges of trying to staff a number of retail stores in a pandemic-related environment. So let's focus, gentlemen, uh, initially here on the kind of the labor side of things, the hiring difficulties that I think we're seeing become more and more prevalent now that things are opening up and small businesses need to get their employees back on the job. Uh, And based on what I see driving around our market area, I see a lot of for hire signs out. So Joe, kind of let's let's talk about Busy Beaver in particular. I mean, you've got and you can give a little background on how many retail locations you have and how many staff members you you normally deal with. But understand you've also had some challenges recently in trying to either get people back or because your industry is is, uh, growing, um, needing to hire additional people. Yeah, so hiring and recruiting is certainly something that we focus on daily. If I step back to the beginning of the year, uh, we actually started 2021 with 63 open positions. And um, so that's a lot to make up uh, that does include seasonal hiring. Uh, so what we have done is... And that's on a base of how many employees? Uh, roughly 500 to 550. And you have how many stores now? Uh, 24 stores operating and one in development. And uh, what we did was we took a look at the areas where we were uh, struggling. So some markets perform better than others. Uh, our stores span uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. And uh, in certain markets, we, we, we do very well and don't have the staffing issues. But in other markets, we struggle. And uh, we really started a grassroots effort to, to recruit. So uh, we used our social networks and our, our peer groups to, to recruit, and uh, we, we've made a lot of progress on that over the past few months. So we are seeing more people coming back into uh, the stores for employment, for applications, and for hiring, particularly in the management side of it. But globally, it's, it's interesting to be in retail where you have a significant need uh, for associates, and uh, we're basically competing with the government to get associates. So it's, um, it's been a struggle. So to that point, I mean, you know, there's, I think, a couple of dynamics at play. One is, obviously, there, you know, may not be enough financial motivations for people uh, to come back to work or to to join the employment roles again. What else are you seeing other than uh, potentially the strength of unemployment benefits being kind of a headwind to you hiring people? Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, you know, it, it, on, on several occasions, we're literally competing with the government to hire. And so it's interesting that um, you know, we certainly have not been at a, a minimum wage level for, for many, many years. You just can't be if you want to be competitive. Uh, so I think our internal uh, starting salary is $11 an hour for, for a part-time associate. Uh, so we've been above the, the minimum wage for many years. But in order to get people back in our stores and working, um, it takes it's it's more than just the economics of it. 
So uh, we're very proud of the culture we've developed, and uh, we develop a culture of opportunity. Uh, so we almost exclusively promote from within, uh, which resonates with a lot of people as they want to grow their careers. We, we do very little outside recruiting. Um, so that's a significant benefit to being certainly in our company. The other is we offer very strong benefits. So we offer um, health care and 401k uh, and all traditional benefits that you would get. Uh, we've, we've tried to keep those very strong because recognize those a piece of that, of that recruiting process. So between the economics of it, the benefits, and the, um, the culture, uh, those have been the three ways we've made a lot of impact. Chuck, I know uh, you actually did some research recently on you know, what is it really costing people to work versus to, to stay at home and, and stay on the unemployment rolls, particularly with the additional federal benefits that I think are in place through September of this year. And I, I think it was pretty revealing what, what was found. Yeah, you know, starting last summer when some people were starting to attempt to hire people back after the shutdowns, I had a lot of small business people complaining that they couldn't get their people to come back. And uh, as a result, we did some research into how that was playing out in Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, when they, if you had a base salary of 30000 which is the minimum wage that everybody is yeah. arguing about, raising to as though we haven't already raised it. I mean, I don't know of a small business that can pay people minimum wage and, and attract people. It's just it's just not. I, McDonald's, everybody okay. is way above this. I, it always gets me a kick of how leadership is arguing about it when in the real world we've been beyond minimum wage for a long period of time. But if you were the new minimum wage, which people talk about as being $15, which is equates to a $30,000 salary, a year ago, if you were on unemployment with the federal benefits in the state, you made $46,200. Compared to 30. Compared to 30. Working. So sitting at home, you made 46,200. Working, you made 30. Today, when they, I think a lot of people politically recognized what a terrible program that was. And then there was a lot of arguing between Democrats and Republicans to pull it down or leave it up. Well, they compromised at a $300 a week level, and they've extended it to September. What, $30,000 salary? You make $30,600. So again, you're still making more money staying at home. You know as a practical matter, nobody's enforcing if you're offered your job, you lose the benefits. That's just not the real world, the way it's operating right now. And as a practical matter now, when restaurants are trying to call people back or small businesses are calling people back, now you're hearing... Well, will you pay me under the table? Because I don't want to make less money than what I'm making staying at home. Uh, you know, I think everybody in this country is all for an unemployment compensation structure that when somebody loses their job, we rally around as a team and provide them support so that they can find another job and not lose the roof over their heads during that period of time. But when you take it to the stage that you're incentivized not to work, mm-hmm. That creates a terrible environment for the small business industry. It's ridiculous. I don't even know why people are having a debate about minimum wage. First of all, you can sit at home and make more than minimum wage. And if they keep extending it, what what motivation is there to go back to work? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's a bad policy from a leadership perspective, and it's hurting the small businesses in significant ways. Joe, have you actually had to increase the wage scales at all? Yeah, we have, but that was really in the plans. Uh, It's nothing. We didn't really react in a way that uh, we decided to take our our base wages up in response to this. It was over a 
long-term strategic plan that we had put in place beginning a couple of years ago to get wages up naturally because um, we wanted to be more competitive and, and right. attract better talent. So the reality is is that businesses uh, have been doing this for years uh, to, to drive that uh, that's been more successful than the government's program where you're literally competing with them right. uh, where they're incentivizing people to sit at home instead of working. Is there any validity guys to the to the idea uh, of you know there's also this fear factor still out there in the employees minds particularly in a let's say a retail setting like yours where you're interacting with could be hundreds of people during the course of the day is that does that play into this at all? Yeah Dave I, I think it does but it was pretty specific to a demographic, uh, an older demographic. So uh, we certainly saw some associates asked to take a leave, which we granted and, and welcomed them back when they were coming back. Uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, certainly I could speak for Busy Beaver. We've done a really amazing job at keeping our associates and, and our, our customers safe. Uh, we've gone beyond what the recommendations are to, to maintain a safe environment. And uh, we, we think we've done a very, very good job of protecting our associates. So uh, I think that fear factor exists, but I think it's specific to a certain demographic. One of the most consistent trends that we've been talking about in the last few episodes uh, around winners and losers uh, in this pandemic. And, and Joe, I got to say, you must have read the tea leaves years ago. Your industry is one of those that really has been, I'll call it a winner from a consumer demand perspective. Mm-hmm due to some of the changes in consumer behavior over the last year. So give us a sense. I mean, your industry's on fire. What, what's driving that? What's hot right now? Yeah, Dave, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, the, the number one thing driving our industry of hardware, lumber, and materials is demand. Uh, so demand has uh, drastically risen over the past year for, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is when people are forced to stay at home and uh, – do activities such as their work and exercise at their homes. Uh, they're spending money to transform basements and, and, and second rooms uh, into, into those facilities. So that's the first thing that we've seen. The second thing that we've seen is that when you're forced to stay at home, uh, the list of improvements that you put off for years and years and years all of a sudden uh, becomes the priority. And so uh, we have seen that particularly in paint and lumber uh, as the main department drivers, uh, but we've also seen that in all of our other departments in plumbing with renovating bathrooms, um, electrical with upgrading lighting, and, and home goods uh, with general consumer purchases. The third thing that we've seen is that um, consumers have uh, spent a lot of time and energy on the outdoor living component. And um, I think if, you, if you've ever sat in your house for about a month, um, at some point you say it's time to make our way outside. And our consumers have, and they've, they've spent that on uh, landscaping, gardening, creating decks, uh, outdoor living spaces that they didn't have because we're not really sure how long this is going to last and what we're going to do. And those are actually investments that are not going to go away, that you don't pump that kind of money into your home and then forget about it. So uh, long term, uh, those are improvements that continue to generate uh, repetitive sales. Well, and there's also – that's – as close as you can get to traveling to a new destination is, I guess, creating a new destination in your backyard or in your patio or wherever it might be. Yeah, so we, we've, we think that a lot of the uh, change in consumer behavior from traveling, uh, those dollars spent on traveling and entertainment, have made their way uh, partially into our industry. Um, so uh, consumers generally aren't savers, and so the money is, 
is is getting spent somewhere not always but it does get spent um uh, at other places and and what we've also found is that the demand that's been generated with these activities has driven prices uh, retail pricing up to levels we've never seen uh, so a year ago we were selling a two by four by eight for two dollars and ninety nine cents and today we're selling it for seven dollars and nine cents um, so that demand continues to drive prices up and continues to complicate the supply chain I do want to I would want to get on the topic of inflation uh, in a few minutes here but with regard to the consumer demand that you're seeing in your industry, it is somewhat interesting to me. I read a recent AP poll where they, you know, they polled a, a group of Americans about what they're doing with their stimulus funds, uh, and surprising number. It was only like 16% of Americans said they were going to actually use those funds for capital spending. But obviously, you know. Most of the capital spending is getting driven into certain industry types like like yours. So, Chuck, you, know, you and I have talked. I mean, six. Let's say sixteen percent. Let's be generous and say twenty percent of the stimulus funding is actually going in to drive, let's say, the the consumption of goods and services. What's happening with the rest of it? Um, and is it really benefiting the economy overall the way it was intended? Well, you know, there's a lot of uh... Uh, discussion from leadership that this is to spur the economy. And obviously, if only 16% is being spent to spur the economy, it's not the directive, it's not going to get the efficiency and the effectiveness as, as what people said. But you've got to keep in mind that uh, some of that, the expectations were too much to begin with, I think, is what you're going to see. Look at what's happening to the economy with only 16% of it being spent to stimulate it. And the reason is, is because, again, there's the, the CARES Act has put money into the economy in a lot of different ways. Uh, yes, you've got direct incentive payments, and we as banks see it going into the bank and savings and accounts and not being spent. Yeah. But you're also, even the unemployment that we just discussed, you're making more money to sit at home than to go back to work. When you look at last summer, you could be making $50,000 and it still made sense to stay at home because you made more, even at a $50,000 salary on unemployment with the federal benefits than it was going to work. Well, you got time. You got lots of time. So they're spending their money. They're not traveling. So they're doing exactly, they're helping Joe out tremendously because you're not going to sit on the couch all day. You're going to go get all those projects done and you're going to do those things. Mm. So those that's that you can just see everything playing out the way it was designed now what we're not thinking about is and they're starting to think about it now let's raise taxes dramatically because somebody's got to pay for all this mm -hmm. you don't get all of this stuff for free we're leveraging our children's future we're 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 if somebody's going to pay this back and what you're doing is it's really a, a wealth transfer you're giving a lot of money to people who are putting in their savings account at one level, and then you're going to go tax the heck out of people that make more money in the future to pay for this. It really isn't driving the economy. It's just a wealth shift from one group to another. Well, 25, I, I read just in the last couple of days, 25 million of those stimulus payments went to Social Security recipients who had absolutely no change in their no. monthly income. No, and that's and and they're not changing their lifestyle either. So it's going into the savings accounts. This is what people say this is supposed to do is in a practical matter, not the way it's playing out. It is a, a transfer of wealth, and if that's what you wanted to accomplish, that's what you're doing. And 
that's what's going to take place because at some point in time in the future you got to pay this back and what's happening is when you start to see that payback come that's going to slow down the economy when you take corporations back to 28 percent you're not you're not going to be as a competitive as used to be and it's going to slow down the economy it's going to pull monies back out and uh, it's a matter of shifting from one time to another and are you getting the benefit when it all plays out it's a shift of wealth it's not really promoting the economy the way it should be and it'll be detrimental in the future in conjunction with interest rates and what's going to happen when we discuss inflation you're going to see this all start to come to a head a year or so from now are you seeing any changes joe on your side like on on the demographics of who your customers are? We do. So um, in Western PA, Eastern Ohio, and, and West Virginia, the demographics are pretty consistent. Uh, but we've seen certainly a, a younger demographic making their way in our stores, which is wonderful. Um, you have your first-time DIYers. Uh, they're taking on projects that they've never done in the past. And that's done a couple things for us. One is uh, for our industry. Uh, one is it's created additional demand. Um, hopefully it's generated a, a long-term consumer, uh, but it's also driven up uh, your average ticket. And what people don't think about, um, unless you're in the industry, is that uh, for a typical DIYer, they have um, paintbrushes at home and uh, spackle knives at home that they would have bought years ago. Well, for a first-time DIYer, all these different accessories are needed to do the project, um, so there's a lot more demand on even those most common accessories. Yeah, you know what? That's a really interesting point because, I mean, you know, I like to bust on the millennial generation for different nuances that they have. But this is maybe going to create a, a, you know, kind of a, a skill set in that generation that might not have been there before. Because well, we now they're so. kind of, you know, kind of not forced, but they've been pushed to work on their homes yeah. and be and be handy and buy all those supplies. Yeah. And, and I think uh, they may be leading the, the first-time buyer uh, demographic as well, which is, is great for a long-term consumer. Yeah. So even beyond the stimulus provisions, I mean, where the interest rate environment is too, is also a great, a great tailwind for you guys. Yeah, I mean, we don't get into the major projects with $100,000 kitchen remodels, but certainly the, uh, the weekend warriors and DIYers that are simply renovating a bathroom or making some upgrades and changing doors and windows uh, that's our that's our consumer, and that consumer is is making those investments into their homes. Well, gentlemen, I'd like to try to tie together a couple of points that were brought up earlier on in, in today's discussion, uh, and that being, um, you know, the labor issues, materials issues, and inflation, which some are speculating could be the next big shoe to drop in terms of an economic drag in the future. Before we get into your personal opinions, I just I did a, a, a quick uh, some quick research through the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which is which is the, one of the larger commodities trading platforms in the country. These are just year to date 2021 numbers. Oil's up 30 percent. Gas is up for, almost 45 percent. Lumber <laughs> near and dear to Joe's heart, 48 percent. That's just year to date, and we're only in April. On the food side, corn. 23%. Pork, 46%. We've got restaurants reopening and their meat prices are going to go through the roof. Uh, the overall commodities market's up almost 19% year to date. So none of these factors that we've talked about, increasing demand, increasing cost of labor, none of those bode well for inflation. Joe, where, where, where are you seeing costs in your business really increase? 
So the the costs are increasing really across the board. Uh, lumber is actually the most uh, dynamic and talked about in our industry because lumber is usually pretty uh, steady uh, as a commodity. Uh, but the in, in terms of the pricing, retail pricing, you know, the demand again, as we talked about, is is significantly more than it was a year ago. And coupled by uh, supply chain shortages with uh, something as simple as factories shutting down uh, because of a COVID outbreak. Well, when you shut a factory down and they're not producing, it's less supply. So less supply and more demand means prices are higher. Um, so for us, um, you know, we've seen lumber being the biggest driver of those retail prices. However, many of the other industries where plastics are involved, such as PVC piping, um, and 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 uh, gang boxes for for electrical, uh, those all have oil in them. And as you mentioned, oil prices are up right. as well. So we're really seeing it across the board. Well, what about the embedded costs of COVID mm-hmm. from a you know a pandemic control perspective, cleaning, disinfectant? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's a significant cost and one that's not talked about enough. So uh, Busy Beaver, um, our supplies specific to cleaning are about seven thousand dollars more a month. Uh, than they were more more than they were a year ago pre-pandemic that's correct um so if you think about customers touching carts right when they bring the cart back we've got to clean the cart off Mm -hmm. Uh, if you think about a customer touching counters you're cleaning off the counters every time they touch it Uh, supplying masks sneeze guards um all those things that go involved in in cleaning and disinfecting have a cost to them and those with the demand being up are now more expensive as well right right so you talk about the let's let's say the organic supply costs of your inventory like lumber but one of the things i threw in here chuck is gas whether it be gasoline or oil or petroleum products that's going to drive the cost of freight up at the same time that the cost of the materials themselves are going up. energy costs are a big part of driving the economy they go up the economy slows down they go down the economy speeds up just because everything has energy involved with it and, uh, you know, you've got a, a system in place now where the aid that we put into the system, again, from a leadership perspective, whenever you're doing aid, your intentions are good, but you have to balance things of what's best in the short term and think about what's best in the long term. You can't do one or the other. You have to kind of focus on both. And so if you do too much incentive, then what you're going to do is heat up the economy and you're going to create inflation. Uh, you, you push unemployment too high so people aren't motivated to come back to work. They don't. Immigration is shut down so people can't come in to push those jobs. So what do you do? As a business person, you keep pushing the number up higher and higher. I used to hire somebody for 10, now I'm hiring for 15. And then somebody else needs that person, it becomes 20. Whenever the supply drops, and the demand is hard, it pushes up prices. And Where's we're doing, that tipping point? And we're doing, we're doing a lot of that right now. You're seeing yeah. numbers go very large. I don't understand how the Fed can sit there and say they're looking to hold it at 2%, and they're keeping rates very low, because that's the other thing you see. When rates are low, that's more stimulus for the system. When interest rates go high, it slows down the system. At some point in time, inflation is going to kick in that, that they'll have to raise interest rates. And if you start to see that occur, say, a year from now, at the same time people are changing the tax rates to pay for all this and pushing them up, at the same time interest rates are going on, you got a real break on the economy to slow it down because inflation's going up and you're starting to create a problem in the long term. 
because you've let the short-term balance get so right, I, out of whack that it drives the long term. I guess the generic and question, guys, is here. have we overstimulated the economy? I think uh, when you, you know, when you look at things, you're looking for productivity. Right. The real thing to look at is, is there productivity gains? Obviously, if somebody sits at home and gets paid more to sit at home than they're working, productivity is not going up <laughs> well by said. any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> So the real factor that starts to measure these things together is productivity. And you're not seeing productivity go up with this incentive the way it is. And um, it, it's going to create problems in the future. And and you look at the dynamics of the leadership. You've got two different parties, you know, and they think differently. And um, typically the one that's in office is measuring it on the short term, not the long term. And the one that's not in office is thinking about the long term. And... In the old days, that you, you could create a compromise with the two parties. But we all know the days of compromise are gone. So what you're going to do is have bigs up, pushes and valleys. And so there, I don't think there's any question there's too much incentive in the small business market right now. Um, think of this as, you know, it's sold to us as it's targeted relief. But it's not targeted. It has not been targeted... Again, if you're looking at a restaurant owner, they have not got the help that they need. You look at a non-restaurant owner, Social Security, people on Social Security, they're getting more aid and they don't know what to do with it except put it in a savings account. Yeah. Clearly, they're not spending it, which is where you'll hear people say, well, we're throwing it out to everybody, not targeting because we need them to spend it to spur their economy. Yeah. Well, inflation wouldn't have these kind of numbers if that was really necessary. It, it wouldn't. Yeah. And um, the supply chain, the interruptions in it make it even worse. Because when people aren't working, the supply chains get yeah. screwed up. Uh, the international trade battles well, that are going on. We saw a trade on, war too, yeah. Saying, yeah. I ordered a vehicle three months ago. It, ain't, it needs a chip in it. And so it's used to take me six weeks to get a vehicle when I ordered one. It's now been three months and they don't have a clue when it's going to come in. Yeah. Ultimately, these things all catch up in the system and don't bode well for the long term. Dave, and Dave, you mentioned um, transportation costs, which is interesting. Yeah. So for years, more people have been leaving the trucking industry than entering. So when you have a time, a, a contraction of truck drivers mm -hmm. coupled by a significant increase in demand, uh, transportation costs have been soaring over the past year and that's crazy. so we're taking the three major components of what you do from a supply perspective which is the labor yeah. to get it out the door the cost of the material itself and the cost to get it to your stores and they're all, they're all going up that's right and and our associates you know it's interesting when you look at a, at a retail associate because uh yes wages have been driving up higher but so is the cost of living so I'm not sure where that levels off, but it certainly feels like it's being absorbed as much as it's increasing. And that's always the balance that people are looking for, you know, which it's kind of like uh, minimum wage. You know, they'll argue if you go to minimum wage and the product becomes more expensive or there's less demand and there's an offset. Everything is a balance, and it mm -hmm. truly is a balance. Um, it just seems like it's all on this side of the pendulum right now. Well, you, I mean, you can't fault leadership for trying. I think yeah. everybody's intent is to do the right thing. But we've had three rounds of incentives out there, right? And the third round, they're arguing about doing even more 
when the statistics are already out there saying 20% of it or less is being spent yeah. for your objective. So mm -hmm. why do you give more? You know, the real world is, is you buy votes that way. And truthfully, <laughs> we get back onto that. We this. get back to that. It, it, it's like <laughs> it's the same thing. If there's no logic to it, there, that, that doesn't make any sense. There's always a logic. The truth is the logic, the stated logic, isn't true. It's something else. And we speculate it's to buy votes, but how do you sit there and warrant doing this when only one-fifth of it is being used for the purpose? That means it's not effective, and it's it's not creating the, the goal that you're shooting for. So, Well, gentlemen, great discussion today. Glad to see you're one of the few industries that are on the winning side of this nightmare we've been going through as a society for the last 12 months. Uh, wish you all the luck in the world. Chuck, as always, your uh, sense of overall uh, what's mm -hmm. going on in the economy and, and obviously some of the uh, less talked about reasons for it uh, are always appreciated. Uh, for those of you that are new to our podcast, uh, please subscribe to Inside the Vault on all your popular podcast platforms. And if you have any questions or any specific topics you'd like to see us address in the future, please email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. Thank you.